Hey friends, Ashton here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. I'm excited today to introduce you to uh, what I think is going to be a new voice in the realm of contemplation and wisdom and wonder and joy and peace and all that stuff that we chat about here at Good, True, and Beautiful. His name is Joseph Wynn. I just finished his book, Don't Believe Everything You Think, While Your Thinking is the Beginning an end of suffering. So right out of the gate, you know uh, we're going somewhere interesting uh, and beautiful today. So with that being said, uh, I want to in- introduce uh, our new friend Joseph here to the community at Good, True, and Beautiful. Joseph, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Ashton. It's uh, really such an honor and a privilege to be here with you. You bet, man. So um, I kind of danced all over it a little bit, but when when you I ask this question to every new guest— when you introduce yourself and your work in the world, uh, where do you begin? I, I always find that question quite quite comical because, <laughs> well, one, because I don't really think of myself as as anything. So <laughs> how I introduce myself is always, always a good laugh. Um, so I'll attempt to do that. Um, what what I like to preface it with is that whenever I introduce myself or my story or anything that I do, um, I I don't necessarily like doing it, but I'll do it in certain instances, and I always preface it with with the perspective of trying not to create some sort of idealization of totally. me. I get it, 100%. and for me, like who I am doesn't necessarily matter to you or to anyone that's listening, all that matters is, is what I'm saying resonating with you, not because it's coming from me, but because it feels true to you. It reminds you of something that you already know deep down inside. So whatever I say, whatever I share is, is for that purpose, not necessarily to make it look like I'm awesome or I'm I've accomplishing so many things or anything like that. So <laughs> um, with that, I'll, I, I would say... To introduce myself, I would say that I've just observed a lot mm. of myself. I've, I mean, like anyone else had grown up with a lot of trials and tribulations, a lot of problems with parents and things growing up. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter about the external circumstances that I've been through, um, but more importantly, how I felt about them and what my thinking process was about those events that happened in my life. So a lot of things happened, but at the end of the day, it was just a lot of turbulent thoughts, Hmm. thinking a lot of anxiety, uh, just chronically. And so the way that introduced the work is really just an observation of what just happened in in my mind, Hmm. just throughout all these different years. And I think I hit enough of a rock bottom to be able to pierce the veil of the illusion of the, of the thinking that we do. Um, and how a lot of what we think is not necessarily true, but it feels uh, very painful. <laughs> and and I would classify that as psychological or emotional suffering. So that's really my work of just an exploration of what that is and and demystifying it and seeing seeing beyond what all of that unnecessary chatter is to find the peace that's that's already here within you um, and within all of us. So yeah, I love it. No, I get it. I understand how clunky the proverbial cocktail party conversation can be. You know, who are you? What, what do you do? You know, we begin there. Once you've penetrated illusion and touched reality, 
you're kind of like, ah, that's not so really, that's not very interesting to me anymore. That, that question is not, doesn't ring as true as it did uh, in the days of old of uh, swimming in the world of ego and so forth. Um, yeah. but, but I get One it. You the, did a great job of answering it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I always dance between the two and, and something really interesting that I noticed recently was just, just our, or even our language patterns and, and how we, we connect with one another. Um, even if it's just for a short bit. And the first question we always ask is how are you doing? Hmm. And what's interesting about that, that specific word doing is it, it's a verb and it, and it always insinuates that we have to be doing something. Hmm. And if we're not, then we're not good enough. We're not achieving something. Then we're not a, like doing something awesome in the world. And that, that's, that's not necessarily true. Um, and, and that's why I asked in the beginning too, before we started the recording was, how are you feeling specifically? Yeah. That to me is more important than whatever we're doing or thinking or whatever else it is. Um, but it's just funny to, to recognize those things and the type of culture we're, we're currently in right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To awaken to the words that we use, um, you can often tell a lot about the way you're seeing the world through the through the words that you use, right? Um, I've I've learned that too. Um, well, let's get into this, man. So, don't believe everything you think. This is uh, this is your reflection on the other side of the veil. This is uh, yeah. this is your hey, I woke up. Uh, I've seen some stuff now, and I want to share it with you. What like? Give me the backstory of how you came to put this into the world. Yeah, so I alluded to it slightly before, but really the inception of the idea came from me hitting rock bottom. So I had started my business about five years ago. And the reason why I started that business was because my parents were over a million dollars in debt just after the 08 crash in the US, like the housing market crash. Um, I was going to college at that time and I just calculated some very elementary basic math and saw that, oh, they're not going to pay off debt by the time that they die. Because <laughs> they were already 40-something, like mid-40s, mm. close to, actually, actually, they were really at 50 years old already. So they had escaped the country from Vietnam and came over here. And what I saw was, and, and what I realized was I didn't want them to live that life. I don't think that they worked their entire life just to come over here and to live and die in debt. Um, that to me wasn't what I wanted for them. And so that's when I left college and then started exploring business. It was in that exploration that I, I encountered a lot of things. I think anybody that starts a business encounters a, and I would say an expedited and an overwhelming amount of issues and problems in a very short amount of time. Uh, so it just speeds up all of, all of the stuff that we go through. So that's what happened to me at a relatively young age. And I enjoyed building that business a, a lot in the beginning, but I started to fall out of love with it. It was a marketing agency. So I was making a lot of different people and different businesses a ton of money, um, but I wasn't fulfilled at the end of the day. And that bothered me quite a bit because I was quote unquote helping them grow their business. And I thought that that would be fulfillment enough, but it wasn't. And so, I was on this constant, never-ending search of this fulfillment and this purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I was just saying to myself, oh, I, I'm making people money. Like, that's, that's me helping people. That's fulfilling a purpose, right? But for some reason, I didn't feel that. No matter what I did, no matter how much money I, I made them, no matter how much I connected with them, none of that seemed to work. So 
And then the agency started to go downhill, spiral downwards. Um, I started losing a lot of clients, had a bad business partner split, like 50 grand worth in debt. And that was around really relatively young age. And so that just left me very empty um, because all I really wanted to do was to help other people. But for some reason, I just kept hitting walls and these circumstances that were that were very, very painful. Um, and that just bothered me so much because all I wanted to do was just be a good person and help people. But why am I encountering all of these different situations, going into debt, losing all these clients, not really find fulfillment in my work anymore? So I tried a lot of different things to help that with this chronic anxiety or borderline depression, whatever you want to label it as. And so I started seeking as much as I possibly could, going to hypnotherapy, going to um, different meditation retreats. I did the Dr. Joe Dispenza one for like seven days in Cancun. Um, I read tons and tons of books, so just dozens of different ones about the mind, the subconscious, quantum physics. Um, I went to acupuncture. I went vegan for a month. Uh, I changed my diet multiple times. I, I did as much as I possibly could with what I knew at the time. And even after all of that, I still felt that, that void inside of me and that nagging voice in my head, just constantly kicking me when I'm already on the ground. And so, you know, multiple fetal positions of days on the floor and just not knowing what to do with my entire life. I finally hit rock bottom and it was in that rock bottom. I call it that it's essentially to me, rock bottom is when you, you feel like you've exhausted all external options hmm. and you, you almost felt like you really have no other option than to look inside. And that's what happened to me. So, and that was really a, a, a massive blessing in disguise because that was the only time that I started to see through the illusion hmm. of my own thinking and how I am really, whenever I believe what I'm thinking, then I, I suffer. And if I don't, then, then I, I find peace. And so that was, that was the beginning of everything. Um, and I had a, a mentor of mine, which was very, uh, I'm very grateful for that. How kind of helped lead me to, to the understanding. Um, and so his mentor was really Sydney Banks. So that was the originator of a lot of these ideas about, you know, thinking um, and where we can essentially find peace. Um, and it's not like he's the only person that's discovered it. I mean, there's countless religions, countless masters, countless gurus. Like there's so many different people that are essentially saying the same message just in a different way. Yeah, yeah. So that's really what I've come to see. And the, the illusion of separation started to fall away between all different religions, different cultures, different, all these things, because it's all different roads to the same destination. Yeah. Um, it's just, do you want to take one way, a, a scenic, a scenic route, or do you want to take another way, a highway or the plane? So I don't really see anything as right or wrong. Um, just whatever your preference is and whatever speaks to you at the time. So that, that really was what happened for me. And a few months later after that, that's really when I started writing the book. And so it was not a long time after mm. I hit rock bottom that things started to change. Because in that rock bottom moment, I, I essentially asked myself the question um, that I have in the book, which was, I, had, I didn't know what to do anymore. I, I felt like I had no options left. And so I was like, okay, if I just had nothing left, right? Let's say this is a blank slate. I can create whatever I want. So if I had unlimited money, had no fear, didn't receive any recognition for what I did. Um, 
and already traveled the world, what would I do or what would I create? And for me, when I paused and really allowed whatever to come in, to come in, what came up for me was writing, speaking, and coaching. And so from that moment on, it wasn't like a black and white shift where everything was sunshine and rainbows. It was a gradual shift of, I'm going to do more of those things and less of the things that I don't enjoy anymore. Um, and so that's, yeah, a few months later, I started writing the book and it was finished very shortly after. It wasn't very long um, because of that understanding. So that's really the whole, you know, at, at a high level, the, the journey to, to writing the book. Um, and I love that question so much because it, it seems pretty simple, but it's so profound because it essentially, to me, it, it almost kills the ego or it expedites its death. Um, hmm. That question has like four different parts and those four parts are really linked to what the ego or our thinking mind loves most and perpetuates our suffering. So number one is money. Yeah. That's a very deep rooted one for most of us. Power, prestige, <laughs> possessions. Yeah. And so that one is, is the number one one. And so once I eliminated that variable, what's next? Um, a lot of people like traveling the world, but it's like, okay, after you travel the world, then what? Right. Um, a lot of people, after they vacation for a while, they need a vacation from the vacation <laughs> or they feel bored or want to do something. So I removed that variable as well. The other big variable is recognition. So pride is a, is a massive one. And so if I didn't receive any recognition for what I did, because a lot of what we do is for that. Back then for me, I would everything I did would be for the purpose of recognition for being good hmm. or doing good in the world or helping a lot of people. And so it was that that vanity was masked in in just uh, quote unquote selflessness. <laughs> and so it really had an uh, had a underlying intention which I didn't which, which of course caused a lot of suffering. And then the last one was fear. So without fear, what would I do? What, what would be the result of that? So that's four different parts that I don't know how that question came about, but it just popped in my head and that removed all the variables that would take me away from what I truly wanted. And because and, and, all of those variables are essentially external sources that, that take me away from my true self, hmm. uh, my own alignment, my own being. So that's that's the inception of the question, and that is what drove the whole entire book, really. Yep, yep, I love it. Well, and I think I saw uh, one of James Clear's posts this this last week. He's like, "Hey, a great question to use as you navigate all of your moments." He was like, "Aside from my thoughts, am I okay?" And and when we hit rock bottom, I think that's the great awakening that we all have. Is wait a minute. I lost, I thought I was my power, I thought I was my pride, I thought I was my possessions, I thought, right, like, we go through the laundry list of all these things that we thought we were, that we, that we were so attached to, we become detached from them, we can see them from afar, and we go, oh my gosh, that was never me in the get-go, and I, and, I, and I really think that this is kind of the inception of this book, of why your thinking is the beginning and end of suffering, like, our, our, our thoughts, our thinking is what gets us into trouble. And it seems like that was the great awakening that you had in that moment. Yeah. And essentially I view the world and everything that we 
every experience we've ever been through is just to help us to realize that. And that's why we'll have repeated events that seem to have, that seem to cause a lot of suffering come into our lives over and over again until we learn that lesson. Yes. Until we get down enough that we say, it, it strips us away from everything. Of We'll lose all our money. We'll lose all of our friends. We'll lose like everything that we know and love until we have none of it left. And then we realize that without any of that, who am I? Mm -hmm. And with that question, what comes up or what feeling comes up and the realization that we still are okay, even without all those things that we were once so attached to, that is who we really are. Mm -hmm. And it can't really be articulated into words, but it comes in the form of a feeling um, and, and a sense of knowingness, so to speak. No, I think you're right. I, I've, in reflecting on my own life, and studying others, I had this conversation with a buddy last week, like, if you are not paying att attention to the trends in your life, they are, they are telling you quite often about the thinking in your life, right? Because these things, it just keeps coming. It's going to keep coming at you until you get in on the joke, until you get in on what is trying to help you detach from these things. Like life is, ha if it's true that life is happening for you, right? Then something is trying to get you to detach from these overwhelming uh, compulsive thoughts that you have so identified with. Um, which I think, here's, here's a great segue because I think some people may be listening and go, all right, Ashton and Joseph, y'all are getting way too off in the weeds for me. Um, I, I underlined in the book this phrase, and, and I think we've all heard this in its own way a time or two, but like the mind is what keeps us alive, but it does not help us thrive. So I, I think we need to walk the gentle road here or the thin road between thoughts and thinking and mind and no mind. Wait a minute, you're telling me to leave my mind, telling me to lose my mind. What are you telling me? I thought I, I, I've got to think I got to get to the other side of the road. I've got to live my life. But let's talk about this mind keeping us alive, but not allowing us to thrive. Yeah, I, as I was writing the book, this was something that I came across. And I, I was thinking, if so, if thinking is the root cause of our suffering, do I just let go of everything I think? How am I going to live? How am I going to survive? What am I going to do? How do I even go about the world? And what came up for me was there is a difference between thoughts and thinking. Um, so with that realization, thoughts are inevitable, but thinking is unnecessary. Thinking, or, so our thoughts will come in and they're inherently neutral. It's just bits of information. That's how we communicate. Um, it's just like, as if our eyes are receiving light. Light is, is neutral. It's not positive. It's just there. Um, our thoughts are the same way. It's just information. It's only when we think about our thoughts that that is the root cause of our suffering. Because when we think what happens, if we think about our thoughts, what happens is we cast our own perception, our own limiting beliefs, our own judgments and our own conditioning onto the thought. Hmm. And that is what causes it. So to give an example to ground this. Um, so I like the thought, uh, Let's say the thought is essentially I'm on this podcast, right? That's the thought. It's just, it just, that's what it is right now. Thinking would be, am I saying the right thing? And like, how am I being perceived by Ashen or his 
his viewers, am, am I stuttering too much? Or, oh my gosh, like I just stumbled or forgot this thing that doesn't make me good. Like that thinking about the initial thought of I'm on a podcast is what causes all the suffering. There's the suffering. Like there's a big distinction with it. So there's, there's an event that happened and then there's all the thinking that, that we do about the event yeah, and yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that's the story. That's the commentary. That is what we create out of that actual event, but that's not the whole event. No matter how many words we use to describe an event, it's still not the event. So, and another concrete example I love bringing up is the word apple. When I say the word apple, you think of an apple. But is the word apple actually an apple? The word apple itself, the, the vocalization of it is not an apple and it will never be and it can't ever be. Yep. And that's the same thing about events in our lives. Us describing the event will never actually be the event. <laughs> and that's the with our thoughts. And so our thoughts are, are just a vocalization of an event, but it's not actually the event. That's why we live in our minds mm. more than actual reality. And so when we let go of our thinking, the, the separation between reality and, and us starts to shorten and diminish until there's almost no separation left. And you can call enlightenment when there's zero separation between us and, and what is happening right here, right now. Without thinking, we're automatically in the present moment. When we're thinking, we create the duality of life. We create those conditions. We create uh, past and future. We create this is good or this is bad rather than this is. Mm -hmm. so thinking all thinking of, creates the duality correct yeah because without thinking there is no more filter or commentary on the world for us to view something beautiful in nature do we have to say wow that's a beautiful mountain like look at all those different little ridges look at all the snow look at all the look at the sky look at the like do we have to narrate that in order to experience the beauty of it mm -hmm. we could just look there and, it, and 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 experience it without the commentary and the less commentary there is, the more peace that we have. Mm. And a question I'm asking to really emphasize that or to reveal the reality of it is, and I'll ask you it too. Um, and it'll just be fun to see what you say too. Like, what emotion do you feel when you're not thinking? Uh, rest, um, peace, um, okayness. Just to know, just it is what it is, what it is. Nothing to prove, nowhere to be. Know where to get to just here. That's exactly it. Yeah. Every single person I've ever asked that question to, they always say some sort of variation of peace or calm. Yep. 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 And that's the secret. Yep. Without thinking. And it reveals our true nature too. Mm -hmm. Thinking isn't reality. It's, it's a perception of it. Mm -hmm. and so when we let go of thinking, we, we fall back into reality. And reality is what? What you just said, which is peace, serenity, yep. calm. Oneness. Yeah, it's the con. I, I, this is helpful. Thinking parentheses commentary. Like I think, I think if we can just use that phrase commentary, you can take in some of this wisdom a bit easier because we can all raise our hand and go, "Oh yeah, I'm commenting on everything, right?" Mm -hmm. Like the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I turned on yeah. CNBC this morning, or there was a cardinal outside of my window this morning, and I believe that heaven is here and now. And among us, this becoming aware of our thoughts is actually what can help prevent us from thinking. And I, I think it's that awareness that leads to the detachment. And so you've got this, like the dialogue of, okay, we're talking about thoughts, thoughts that turn into thinking. 
And then you've got this practice, which doesn't happen overnight, but this way of um, uh, this, this new panoramic worldview, if you will, uh, where you're aware of the thought now. Oh, there's that thought. And I can either attach myself to it and become mm-hmm. it and start thinking, or I can allow it to pass. I can allow it to go, oh, yep, that I don't actually need the thought of scarcity at the moment. I actually don't need the victim. Uh, I don't need to play that at the moment. Um, and I think the metaphor you used in the book was like the, the example of like dirty water and like allowing allowing the dirt to settle at the bottom and then yeah. the water becomes clear again. That was very helpful for me on understanding kind of the dance that happens as we become aware of our thoughts. We allow them to pass and then we move on to what else we're doing. So kind of walk with me. Another, another analogy that I really love that I didn't put in the book because um, I came up with it after was the analogy of food. And so I, I, I'll ask you these questions too, because um, it's always fun. So for example, Ashton, like if you eat food, doesn't matter, you know, if you eat any sort of food, if it doesn't pass through your system in like three or in like a day or so, and let's say it sits there for three, four weeks, what, what happens? You got a problem. You? you got a problem on your hands. <laughs> it's a big problem. Like what would happen? Uh, you're probably going to the doctor. Uh, you're, you're probably getting prescribed something and you're probably going through some procedures that you don't want to go through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it, it'll cause indigestion. It'll cause disease. It'll cause all sorts of things. That's what happens when food enters our body and doesn't exit. Um, our minds are the exact same way. Hmm. Our thoughts, if thoughts come in and we attach ourselves to it and we hold on to the thought for longer than whatever the moment is, that's what causes our suffering. Hmm. So food that our body doesn't let go of causes disease and indigestion. Thoughts that our mind doesn't let go of causes anxiety yeah. or depression or anger or frustration, guilt. And it's crazy because if someone held food in their system for, you know, longer than a day or two or even a week, that's some serious problems. Even a month, that'll be almost life-threatening. Um, but how often do we hold on to our thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. And people do it for days, weeks, months, years, decades. So imagine how much suffering that's causing us. And so that just brings to light, you know, thoughts aren't bad. Remember, it's just inherently neutral. But when we hold on to the thought through our thinking, if we cut, if we keep thinking about our thoughts, that is what causes our suffering. And that, that, so the Buddha said like attachment is rooted all suffering, but how, how do we attach ourselves to thoughts? And I learned that the, the process that of attachment is our thinking. Hmm. That's what creates attachment. Because attachment is very vague. Like, I don't, like, what creates it? Like, how can I not be attached to something? But our thinking, that commentary, is what creates that attachment. So without that thinking, there is no more attachment. We can just accept this. No, 100%. Um, and without that thinking, you're then in that state of peace. You're in this, this beautiful state. It's a new, it's, uh, I almost say, like, once the eyes change then then the spirit 
the true the true self can emerge. And it's always been there, by the way. It's not like you now get this thing because you've seen through the veil. No, actually, you've seen through the veil that all of that illusion that you thought was true, the commentary, the narrative, the belief, now the good, true, and beautiful soul that is you begins to emerge. Um, it's the death of the personal ego, right? Like it's it's our our our, e- our ego mythology begins to fade away and the true self starts to emerge. I actually love that. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I did. So what, an, another thing that was helpful to me in, in your book was um, kind of the dance of like the whole concept of good and bad. And, and you use the metaphor of keys on a piano. And this was so helpful to me because I, in, in the world of form and ego, uh, it is really hard to have this dialogue of like, ah, there's no such thing as good and bad, um, yeah. especially where I'm from. Like, you, you want to start a bar fight really fast, you, you, you just say that phrase. There's no such yeah. thing as good and bad. It's now going down. Uh, and you better <laughs> hope you've got some people on your side. Um, so, but I love the, the 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 metaphor of the piano being that there are all these keys, and depending on the song, you're going to have all these different keys. But but a certain key may not be right for that song. That doesn't make it wrong. That doesn't make it bad. It just makes it that it it doesn't necessarily have a place at this moment and this song. And so I think that was helpful for me to just kind of digest this idea of my commentary, labeling, critiquing, naming, categorizing things, good and bad all the time. Uh, uh, Life is neutral. There's a piano before us. Some keys are good in certain moments, but some aren't. Anything you could share in that piano metaphor? The, the image that kind of comes up for me is when we play a supposedly wrong note, who's to say that you can't compose a new piece of music with that? Mm-hmm. And so we never really know what's good or what, what's good or bad. For example, my parents getting into a million dollars of debt, that's pretty bad. But then it led me to starting my own business to then hitting rock bottom to then writing a book. Rock bottom could be bad but it created this thing afterwards. So it's there, we can never really label things. How can we possibly know what's good or bad? We, we, we can't tell. And it all belongs. you can do it either way. Yeah. You can, you can argue that some, like uh, I always say, like you can always argue either way. It, it, there's evidence to prove everything. Yeah. So we can sit here all day and just debate about this is good or this is bad or, because it's all perspective at the end of the day. It's all thinking. It's all commentary. It's all fabricated by ourselves. Um, but without any of that thinking, then we can just enjoy whatever piece of music for us yeah. um, without thinking that, oh, it's supposed to be this way. Um, that's That just gives a little bit more light into the uh, the whole illusion of, of, of thinking and what we can do to really experience the now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Joseph, now I have a question about um, maybe to help some of our listeners. Uh, so Ashton and Joseph have now told me to stop thinking. Uh, now I've stopped thinking. 
Um, but what about doing? What about my life? What about that thing that uh, all of those people and places that I've been entrusted? What about my business? What about my family? I, I, that overwhelming question, I think, always haunts people on the other side of this really peaceful place, right? Like, oh gosh, I've penetrated illusion. I've touched reality. Now what do I do? Um, and I think the first, I, I just underlined this, and this was really helpful in, in your book, was like, let's first begin with this this conversation. Avoid looking for external answers. Like, now that you've stopped the internal commentary, careful to go look outside of yourself for more affirmation, attaboys, girls, whatever that may be, because that, you're just, you're kind of, you're now camouflaging the thing that you just left, right? Like it's, you're just now experiencing again. Talk to me about, on the other side of peace, the doing conversation, because we got to keep doing something. We got we to gotta keep being something in the world. Yeah, so this links back to one of the first questions you asked, which was, I think it was on the same lines of like, what do you, what do, you do? Like, how do you operate? Um, how do we you know, the mind helps us survive, but not thrive. The first thing that I will say to that is there is so much happening in life that is happening for you that you don't even think about. For example, do you beat your own heart? You know, do you, how often do you consciously breathe? Um, you're really just breathing on, on your own. How often do you control your blinking? Just any of these things. How often are you really trying to, when you're walking, exactly placing your foot left and right and calculating that? All of these things, you know, how much do we have to do to, to think about the air that we're breathing? Um, there's so much happening beyond our comprehension, beyond our own thinking. Like when we're driving, we're not thinking about driving. Yeah. Yet that's one of the most complex things we could possibly do. We're calculating all sorts of different cars, velocities, trajectories, traffic lights, people, pedestrians, all these different things. And it's just happening on its own. Life is just always happening on its own. And how much do we actually need to do to, to, to really be alive? Yeah, we'll need to go eat and stuff. But again, do you have to tell your body that it's hungry? You don't have to do that. It tells you when it's hungry. No, no. And then you go eat when it's hungry. Uh, when the same thing with going to the bathroom or when you're thirsty, this all happens on its own. And all we have to do is just be aware of it and respond to it. And that's really the beauty of life. Like how, like, for example, a tree is, is stuck there and the roots in the ground, probably d decades old, but it's still flourishing and growing. It doesn't have to think about it. No. Essentially, everything in nature grows and flourishes on its own without needing to just have this commentary of, am I doing enough? Am I eating enough today? Am I, am I bigger or stronger than the other lions? Like, that just doesn't happen. It's just being whatever it, it is and designed to be. And so that's really us as humans. Most of the things that, we, that are needed to keep us alive is automatically happening for us. And we can fall back onto that, that natural guidance system that we always have. Mothers will especially relate to this one when, when they have a newborn. What manual do they read to raise or to take care of a baby? Yeah. Like there is none, but they just know what to do instinctually, intuitively. 
They know what the baby needs. They respond to the baby. They're just aware all the time of what they need. That's the same way that we can operate life. We don't like the mom isn't thinking about eight months from now. What does the baby know? Like she responds, he responds to the, whatever the, the, the child needs at this moment. Um, and that really is how we're designed um, to respond to whatever is, is, is here right now versus constantly trying to predict, think, worry, use the past to predict the future. Um, and at the end of the day, we can always figure it out. Yep. Yep. You know, but it's do you enough to do that. Yeah. Well, you get the being right. If you can get being right, the, the doing you're just in flow. I think you wrote a lot of like when, yes. when, when you can stay in flow, when being is right, flow will be available. When being is not right, force is what you're going to think is your only option. This is force versus flow, right? And so, That's exactly, yeah. you know, you get them out, you get them out of, uh, out of order, be, have, do, do, have, be. It's be, do, and then have. Be, get the being right. You'll do whatever comes your way, and you'll have that which you always wanted. Which, by the way, is not Porsche, retirement, life on a beach. It's joy, peace, connection, union with yourself, union with the divine, union with your neighbor, right? These are the great things that we all long for. And so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really beneficial to to hear you navigate that, that um, if we can start and get to that peaceful place, stuff is just going to come your way to do. And you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to manufacture it. Like life is happening for you. It will come your way. Exactly. And we can't really predict what's going to happen. Like, for example, five years ago, would you think that you would be exactly where you are right now? No. How many five-year, 10-year plans have you made that is exactly the way that it's planned? No. It just, we can we can barely predict the weather a week out. Yep. 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 <laughs> like what makes us think we could possibly try to predict our life year, like a, a, a week or months or even years out. That just doesn't make any sense. And it will always change. And so we don't rely on our planning, but we rely on our resilience. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. know intuitively what, whatever comes up, we can handle it. Yeah. That we'll, we'll just know what to do. Yeah. Um, and that, if not, then we'll just figure it out on the spot. Yeah. And there is, there's a great line. Being leads one to responding. If you're not mm-hmm. grounded in being, you then are rea- a reactive presence, right? right? And we all know the difference between responding and reacting, the different energy that that is in one's life. Um, yeah. And I, I love just seeing how this comes about just whenever we're, we're being too, and I love bringing up the analogy of, of sports because a lot of people can relate to that. For example, w- whenever uh, an Olympic athlete or a very, uh, I guess essentially anyone that's playing sports professionally, whenever they get interviewed after they win like the championship or something like that, their, their interviewer is always so funny what they ask. And usually it's along the lines of like, oh, like, how did you, what were you thinking when you were making that game winning buzzer shot? What, like what was going through your mind? And the greatest athletes always respond with nothing. Yep. Nothing in, was going. As in flow. Mm-hmm. If there was something going through their mind, they wouldn't have made that shot. Yep. And so whenever anyone's playing sports and they're, they're actually in it, they always know what to do in that moment. They can't plan what the enemy is going to do or what the comp- competition is going to do like 10 steps ahead. It just doesn't work like that. 
And so the best thing they can do is just respond to what's happening right now. And so that's, you know, most athletes, when they're playing, they're not really thinking. There, there is no commentary going on. They're just, whatever they see, they, boom, just respond to exactly what's there. And that's how we can always be. And when we're in flow, that's what's happening. Whenever we lose a sense of time, we're not really thinking. Yeah. And that's how we can live our life and, and, and just in that state perpetually. Um, of course, we're going to ebb and flow in and out of that. But whenever we remember that we don't have to think about it, then we go back into that state of flow. We always know what to do when we're in that state. And even if we're not in that state, we can always go back to, to just knowing that, oh, yeah, I can be there. Yep. I know what to do. If you're not, if you don't have any bills or if you don't have enough money to pay bills right now, there's probably a few things you know you could do currently to make sure that that's taken care of. You don't have to think about it. Yep. You just know. <laughs> Anything in life is like that. Like if you want to lose weight, it's not rocket science to do so. Everyone knows to just eat less calories than you burn, and then you'll be able to lose weight and you just got to move your body. And we just know to instinctively do that. But we, with the commentary, it's, I don't know if I can do this. I need to make sure I'm on the right diet, you know, the, the paleo, the vegan, or, oh, like, what about all this other, like, do I go organic fully? Do I just, is it non-GMO or just whatever it is? Like, there's so much stuff out there that, that we, it clouds us when we just know what to do and we don't have to look outside to, to really know those things. And so that's how we can really navigate life is just falling back into essentially our intuition, this sense of knowingness. Um, flow, when we're in that state of flow, we're just utilizing intuition 100%. That's what mothers are using when they're taking care of their, their newborns. Just 100% pure intuition. There's not, they're not, whenever their baby's crying, they're not going to flip through a user manual and to say, okay, like in section 52B, uh, dash C, if they're crying in this specific tone, I'm going to do that. Like that just, they just know. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And you write that in the book. Truth is always simple. <laughs> that, um, and, and I, and I would also say, and I, if, if our, our listeners know, I say this all the time, it's also quiet. Like uh, truth is simple and quiet. It's not, it, it is not reserved for the, the select few. It, it, it is not, uh, only the elite can get it. It is not for the theolo theologians and philosophers. Like, truth is so simple. Truth is so quiet. Um, and maybe here's the invitation that you bring us is like, it's your noisy thoughts that are keeping it from you. It's the, it's the chaotic, complicated, noisy thinking that's actually keeping you from the simple and quiet truth that we all behold. And that's it. Behind all of that noise is, is truth. Behind all of the thinking is truth. Behind every external thing that we see is is truth. And if we're feeling like we're suffering, we just have to look beyond that. What happens when we let go of that thinking? And whatever comes up is is that in itself. Yep. Um, and I always love saying like the truth needs no justification. Just Otherwise it wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. What about creating space for miracles? That was a chapter that I, I thought was really a necessary dialogue. Increasing one's capacity to enjoy, partake, participate with what's already happening all around us, within us, in between us. Um, you know, you had the Zen story there of like empty your cup. I, I, I loved that. But 
talk to me about creating that space, getting, giving ourselves capacity to experience the miraculous. Which, by the way, is the mundane. Would, would you yeah. Go, so go ahead. Space is one of my favorite things to talk about, ironically, because it's about nothing. <laughs> the universe is 99.9% <laughs> nothing. And that's not to be nihilistic, but yeah, yeah. The, the other side of that coin is that's just pure possibility. Mm, yeah. To me, space... In order for there to be new creation, there must first be space. In order for you to have new thoughts that can change your life, you must first create space in your mind. And that is through letting go of our thinking. Because if we keep thinking the same thoughts that we have, there is no opportunity for something new to come in. That's the cup that's already full. And if you keep pouring more in, it, nothing's going to happen. And space is essentially a blank canvas without a canvas you can't paint anything on it but there first must be that canvas it must there first must be that space and once that's there anything can go onto that and that's why the universe is always expanding yep. constantly growing yep. is because there's so much of that space and the more space we create in ourselves the more possibilities that we can have space is what it's pure possibility that's because that's all it is. And there's so many different correlations to this. For example, most of us fear space, <laughs> having space in our life. If there's not something booked on our calendar, if we're not doing something right now, we feel guilty. We feel shameful. We feel like we're not enough. We feel like we should be doing something. But that's not necessarily true. Does your value come from what you do? Is it only tied to your to your your actions and if you're not doing that thing right now does that mean you're worthless and what's crazy is space is essentially the unknown and we fear the unknown which is why most of us don't create space in our lives because we don't know what's in the unknown we can't predict that we fear the mysterious yes that's why we fear the dark not 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 uh it's just because we don't know what's in it Give give me give me negative thoughts that I can attach to and confirm. Yes. Versus a blank canvas, empty slate, available space where something new and interesting can emerge. We've just been conditioned to to attach ourselves to what's familiar. You know, that's not a wrong thing. That's just how we've been raised because that's how our parents were. And it's not until that we have the courage to, to face the unknown that we can finally begin to allow new things to come into our lives. Without first creating that space, we're just going to keep thinking the same things, doing the same things, and getting the same outcome. And that's what Einstein said. He said, definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Yeah. And what was his other one? You, you we, we can't... We can't change something with the with the consciousness that first created it. Oh, something along those exactly. Lines. Yeah, we can't solve problems with the same level of consciousness that created it. Yeah, yeah. What he's essentially talking about is you have to create space in our in their minds. And what's so funny is Einstein and and uh, there's a couple other stories too. Almost every great artist and inventor knows how to create space very very well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. Um, for Einstein, instead of him sitting there and and just 
constantly hammering his head with trying to find the solution to the world's greatest scientific uh, problems <laughs> or trying to discover them. He wasn't just sitting there and racking his brain the whole time. Um, in, in, in many of like the journals and, and history, and if you read about his biographies and things like that, what he actually did when he confronted a very difficult problem to solve was he actually stopped thinking about it and went to go and play his violin for a few hours. <laughs> While he was playing the violin, doing nothing or creating space, the idea for the problem that he had came into his mind, essentially downloaded from God, the universe, wherever you want to say it. And that's how he solved most of his problems. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, or uh, what is it? Uh, Thomas Edison, actually, he had a very uh, similar process. Um, very, very prolific businessman and invented thousands and thousands of things. Um, whenever he would confront a problem, he would literally sleep on it. Um, and what he did was he sat in his big you know, office leather chair and he would hold two steel balls in each of his hands. And he would slip into like this state of state or like into a state of sleep, but not exactly sleep because as soon as he would fall asleep, the steel ball would drop out of one of his hands and he would wake back up. And on occasion, whenever he would be shocked awake by the dropping of the steel ball, the idea or the solution would pop into his mind. Mm. These people know the importance of creating space instead of trying to think because our mind is so limited. Yeah. It can only think of so much and the mind can only use the past to try to predict the future. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. But if we just keep trying to use the past knowledge to try to create something new, that's not going to work. It, it requires something new. And they knew that they can't just keep thinking of the same thing to try to create something new. So they let go of that thinking entirely created that blank slate, that blank canvas, and then they allowed something new to come in. But that requires some faith. And they know every time that they did that, something would come up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we've got to get comfortable with mystery. And then, and then you have to allow space into the consciousness, space into your calendar. Uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking of like all of the, um, you're, you're kind of inviting subtraction into the mix before addition. You, you're, 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 this is the more and more about less and less because then you can become available. Then the thinking stops. You used the word familiar a minute ago when talking about thinking. And I was like, oh my goodness, like the idea that these thoughts have become family, like the, the, the root word of familiar, like this familial relationship to my thinking, good gosh, it's a problem. And uh, I need space to distance myself so that I, I, don't, I don't consider these thoughts my brothers and sisters anymore, that, that, that I actually need some new thoughts to emerge, get me back to being, and from there, doing will take care of itself. Um, but it begins with space, it begins with space. Yeah. It always begins with that. And if you don't create space for yourself, no one else can do that for you. Yep. They really can't. Yep. So if you're completely booked out, you're constantly waking up, checking your phone, like you're automatically thinking about what you have to do today and thinking about your kids and thinking about job or whatever it is. Like, when is there ever time for something new to come in? You're just going to probably wake up, you know, at the end of the week. And it's like, where did our, where did our days go? Yep. Where did our life go? Yeah, yeah. it's because we weren't creating space for something new to come in and we just keep reliving the same days over and over again. Yeah. And I've felt, I have felt that guilt and shame in a spacious day, right? I'm not, the ball's not moving forward. I'm not building something. I'm not getting from A to B. I've felt that. 
And I think we need to give that insight to our listeners is like, hey, just know when you invite space into the mix, immediately your thinking and your ego is going to tell you, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't how we do things. Um, So just know that that voice is coming. Um, Because I think if we can expect the voice, then we can recognize it, mute it a bit and move on. Oh yeah. And this is, I love bringing this analogy into, and sports is, and, and physical fitness is, is, is a great uh, correlation to this. Most of us think that doing is the most important thing that we could possibly do with our lives. If we apply that same analogy to fit, physical fitness and weight training and trying to build muscle, what would happen if we just worked out every single minute of every single day? Yeah, you'd have a problem. <laughs> it would have a massive problem. It wouldn't be sustainable. Never, yeah, impossible, right? We'd be burnt out all the time. We wouldn't be able to do anything. We wouldn't be able to physically move. It would decrease our productivity, all of that. What's crazy is that the muscle isn't built when we are working out. It's built when we are resting. Yep. That's when it's reconnecting all the ripped fibers. Yep. And that can only happen when we create space for ourselves to rest. Like when we're resting and creating space, there's so much more happening than we could possibly even imagine. Things are out there that are moving around for you. You don't know what event's going to pop up. You don't know who's going to talk to you. You don't know what, who's going to reach out to you. You don't know what you're going to bump into in life, but it is in that space that those things start to move around you. And you can start seeing these opportunities. You can start being aware of, oh, this is, this is something that feels more aligned with me. You know, in this space, you can then receive these new ideas. And so it's just like working out. We have to have space. We have to have time to rest. And it's in that rest that it actually allows us to to expand ourselves, to grow, to to do all these things. It's not really in the doing, which is the most interesting thing. It's very paradoxical to what we've been taught. Um, But that is essentially why space is so important. That's where all the things, that's where all the magic happens. Once again, another place for both and and yin and yang to emerge. Um, truth is always simple. Truth is always simple. Um, so I ask everybody, Joseph, that comes on here, the great question of what advice would you give to your younger self? So I'll ask that to you as you reflect back, as you've got this work in the world of don't believe everything you think, um, what advice would you give your younger self? I'll first say that I do not regret at all anything that happened. Um, no matter how bad it, it it was. And if I changed whatever happened, then I wouldn't be here now. Hmm. So with that question, I wouldn't necessarily go back to change anything. Um, and even if I had that insight, I don't know where I'd be right now. Um, but just for the sake of the question, what I would say to myself is that it's very simple. Thinking is the root cause of all suffering. Thinking That's, is the root of all suffering. Yeah, you tell yourself, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's everything. Um, there's a lot more to it, uh, but that alone, that insight alone will lead to the rest of the things that are talked about in the book. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all we really need. Um, and to not be afraid of the feeling of fear. That's a huge one. Mm. Most of us think that we're afraid of something outside of us happening. We're not actually afraid of the event. We're afraid of how we'll feel if it happens. We're afraid of 
the feeling of failure. We're afraid of feeling not enough. It's not the actual event. You can survive the event. Everyone survive. Like you can survive the worst thing that you're, you're afraid of, but it's, it's how you'll feel is what we're actually avoiding. Yeah. And so the more okay we are with the feeling of fear, the more peace we'll experience in this moment. We're always doing things to avoid fear. But the more that we can do that, that's that's where that's where we can find ourselves. That's where we can find this space. Um, again, if you're not afraid of the feeling of fear and you can allow it to be within you and to move past you, that's how you can create space. You'll stay in the unknown. Um, if you're feeling fear, you're in the unknown. Hmm. It's a pretty good sign. Hmm. Fear is an indication and an invitation into the present moment. Yeah, yeah. And even even that fear into the unknown, into uncertainty, into mystery. You swim the water long enough, you, you you find yourself at peace. Because you realize that even though the fear is there and it passed, you're still there. Yeah, I made it. You, yeah. You are greater than the fear. Yeah. You are the space that holds the fear. Yeah. And so you'll always be okay. Um, it's just our mind thinks that we won't be. <laughs> Yep, yep. Well said. Don't believe everything you think with Joseph Wynn. Joseph, as we invite our listeners to get a copy of this book, follow you uh, online, where where would you invite us to go? Yeah, uh, I would say you can go to my website, josephwynn.org, or you can just go to Instagram. Uh, the handle is at it's Joseph Wynn. And yeah, that that's where you can find me. I'm coming out with a new book pretty soon too, um, within the next like month or two. So if you just type my name on Amazon or wherever you bought the book, that'll pop up relatively soon. Love it. You got another one coming. Keep them coming. Um, well, that's awesome, man. Super grateful for you and your work in the world. Thankful for your energy here today. And I'm hopeful that our community uh, can walk away, walk away from here lighter and brighter, disassociate, detach from some of our obsessive compulsive thinking and reemerge into this world in new space, um, lighter and brighter. Thanks so much, man. Grateful for you coming on today. Yeah, thank you so much. I love your energy and your presence. So it's such a blessing. All right, man. Chat soon. <laughs>